pace. 360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. Good evening to all our listeners, and welcome to Full Circle. This is your cultural affairs radio magazine, and it's produced by apprentices of KPFA's First Voice Apprenticeship Program. On tonight's show, in this edition of Montage, you'll hear an interview with Robert Jacobs, musician and former member of Pure Funk, a hard-hitting Bay Area funk band from back in the day. And he's also the CEO of Alexis Entertainment Group. Now, as we talk about what they're doing to help producers, songwriters, and performers that may also have gold in the material from back in the day, you'll want to listen. And you'll want to get a pencil and a piece of paper now so that you can take the numbers down in the web address that you hear from Mr. Jacobs. Then we'll be talking also with Mr. Quincy McCoy. He's the captain at the helm of this great flagship. He's the general manager of your community-powered radio station, KPFA. So all that and some great music is on the way for you tonight on Full Circle. Oh, yes, I'm your host, Ron Thompson, so don't go anywhere. Please stay tuned. some superb funk music and quite a few exceptional funk bands from right here in the Bay Area. In just a moment, we'll hear from Robert Jacobs, former member of Pure Funk. But first, we pause to pay tribute to a beacon in now even brighter light. I'm speaking of the chief cornerstone of that great soulful band, that great soulful funk band, Mr. Maurice White.
You know, the chief cornerstone sits on top of the pyramid. It is the stone that touches all four sides of the pyramid. That is Mr. Maurice White, as I like to remember him with that kalimba. As I like to remember him knowing that he, with all of his astrology and mysticism and world religion knowledge, is still giving us that energy. He's helping the sun to warm this earth. Thank you for that. Next we have our interview with Mr. Robert Jacobs of Alexis Music and Entertainment Group. Welcome to Montage, the music magazine that deals with music, dance, and drama happening in the Bay Area and the makers of that music, dance, and drama here in the Bay Area. Today we have with us Mr. Robert Jacobs. He is a member of Pure Funk and also the driving force behind Alexis Entertainment. Okay, welcome, Mr. Jacobs. Thank you very much, Ron. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now... Where do you want to start? Do you want to tell us about Alexis Entertainment first? or I, I think we'd like to hear about Pure Funk first. But which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in, in this case, Pure Funk definitely came first. Mm-hmm. Pure Funk was a band that I performed with uh, in the mid-'70s, around 74, 75, 76, 77. Uh, San Francisco-based band that eventually went to Los Angeles and tried to, to make it big. Uh, unfortunately for Pure Funk and for the members of Pure Funk, we had lots of opportunities, uh, lots of chances to uh, audition for major record labels and never quite got there. But while, while we were in Los Angeles, we made um, about 12 recordings. We recorded 12 songs for Planet Earth Records, which no longer exists. But uh, we released... 145 in 1976 and again that 45 rarely got played i don't think anybody ever heard it i heard it one time on the radio behind it behind a commercial so i know that back then uh the music scene was quite flooded and and, and and difficult, and there were satellite companies coming up and going, and uh, the music scene was prolific in Los Angeles and here in the Bay as well, because you had a lot of music being made here in the Bay. What was the choice to go to L.A. rather than, or, or I guess maybe you were trying to make it happen here, but L.A. is the pool, Hollywood, and you know, Capitol Records and everybody. But what was the flavor that pulled you to to L.A.? Yeah, it, it's a, an, another interesting story. What happened was we performed in the San Francisco Bay Area for a couple of years and did lots of gigs and, and made some money, too. But we actually got a couple of phone calls from record labels in Los Angeles that wanted us to come down and audition because they were looking for rhythm and blues acts at the time. We we auditioned for Capitol Records, for Warner Brothers, for RCA, for A&M Records, and uh, again, unfortunately, none of those auditions uh, came, came true for us. But the interesting thing is that a few years ago, about six years ago, a DJ in London started playing that 45 that we released in 1976. Now, this is almost 40 years later. Isn't that fortunate? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. And um, that, 
the record caught on. And uh, he started playing it, and then other DJs started playing it. It became a minor hit in the UK, and then moved over to Germany, and then moved to France, and gradually built up a reputation for the band and for the song, which was called Nothing Left Is Real. And now, it's actually streaming not the original 45, but the Alexis Records version, which my company released last year, is streaming. And uh, we've actually had about 6,000 downloads since last year. That must make you feel pretty good. Well, it does. It, what, what it does is it helps to verify what we knew in 1976. I mean, you know, we were just kids mm -hmm. in 1976. You know, I think I was maybe 21 or 22. But what it verified is what we knew is that we were a great band. Um, there were certain elements that the industry was looking for at that point that we probably didn't have. Yeah. But now, obviously, the, you know, the music is uh, it's very timely. So tell us about Alexis. Alexis Entertainment Group. So after the band broke up, after Pure Funk broke up in the 70s, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I had lots of Bay Area contacts with musicians and artists and, you know, of, of, of all, all kinds. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, why not try and help those people do what I wasn't able to do with the band Pure Funk at the time? So a partner and I started Alexis Records at that point. And we, we, we signed a couple of acts. And again, you know, the, the usual story at that point. Uh, we didn't do a great deal of business. We made a little bit of money, and we helped a few people, uh, you know, get to the next level. And then we decided to call it quits, and we shut down the record company. Then when the Pure Funk thing started to, to heat up again about six years ago, I thought, well, we own this record label. Let's use it to promote the band. And so we started again with, um, you know, we, we broadened the scope of Alexis Records to Alexis Entertainment Group so we could include more entertainment-type opportunities. And that's why we released the uh, new version of the Pure Funk record, and that's what's selling now. And that's what's where we got the 6,000 downloads from. And, and we're selling 45s. So 40 countries. 40 countries all over the world. Wow. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. That is great. So Alexis Entertainment Group is the parent company so of Alexis Records and other uh, entertainment opportunities. Right. So with yeah. other entertainment opportunities, did you work with many uh, established groups there in L.A. or established groups uh, on the music scene? Not established groups, but, you know, uh, there's one interesting story that happened in L.A., uh, we auditioned for A&M Records. This was the pure funk band again. Mm. We auditioned for A&M Records. Uh, there were two bands auditioning the night that we auditioned. Uh, the second band was actually a better band than we were at the time. And uh, they got the deal from A&M Records, and you may recognize the name. It's the Gap Band. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. But so we were both, you know, we were auditioning for a spot, and uh, the Gap Band got it. So th there were lots of incidences like that that happened in L.A. when we were there and happened in San Francisco where, you know, you're, you're, you're this close yes. to almost being, you know, a, a star-type quality band, yes. and it doesn't quite happen. Right, right. And, and, and the Bay Area, as you know, is loaded with talent. Yes, yes. almost made it to right, the top. Right, right. Yeah. I was in uh, several of those <laughs> <laughs> as a percussionist. I was okay. in several of those almost. Yeah. It's, it's very common. 
putting pen to paper for Warner Brothers and the band falls apart or mm-hmm. something, you know, you, you think you want it, you mm-hmm. say you want it, you know you want it, and you get close and something happens, or as you say, that other band is maybe just a little bit tighter on their horns or something, or the writer is just a little bit more of what they're looking for, and... Uh, all those different things. I, I can sympathize with you for sure. I, I know the feeling of that. So, when back in the day, the music scene being what it was and being so uh, uh, energetic here because you had you had everybody. You had Grace and the Airplane and you had uh, CCR. You had everybody over at Fantasy Records, the Jazz Crusaders. You got Slide. You got Larry Graham. You got, you got everybody here. What did it feel like to just be working at that time here in the Bay? It was fantastic. I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the the feeling of entertainers that were coming out of the Bay Area at that time was just phenomenal. And, you know, we, the, for instance, the, the members of the Pure Funk Band, we wanted to be a part of that, you know. And I played like you, you know, and several other bands that also wanted to be a part of that movement. And, and we were, mm-hmm. as it yes. turns out. But uh, the, the, the level of, of talent that... You know, we were able to uh, to emulate was just out of this world, a- as is evidenced by the huge number of successful entertainers that came from this area. You know, in the 70s and 80s, it, it's it, it's it is incredible. Yes, yes, it so, is. Some of those artists uh, are still around, and some of the ones who didn't quite make it. A lot of those artists are still around. And um, another interesting story, because through my connections with Alexis Entertainment Group, I got a call from a record from a record company back east called um, Omnian, Omnian Music. And that connection came through one of the local Bay Area bands in the 70s called the California Playboys, mm-hmm. which uh, made one album, again, one album in 76 on Lodestone Records. I was the arranger on that album, and uh, this Omnian music company called me because they wanted to reissue this record that the California Playboys made. Interesting. Before you, I'm going to cut you off right there because before we we talk a little bit more about the California Playboys and that record, I would like to play Nothing Left is Real. Any particulars you want to talk about before we play it or do you want to save that for after? Well, just a, yeah, a couple of things to point out because the version that we're going to listen to today, again, is not the original version that was released in 1976. That original song, Nothing Left is Real is now selling for I think the highest was about eight hundred and fifty dollars a copy. That is fantastic. So so when we release when we re-released it, we didn't want to diminish the value for those people who had already purchased it for eight hundred and fifty dollars. So what we did is we made a a a remixed version from our original tapes. Ah. So on the original nineteen seventy six version, there is no keyboard interspersed between the verses, and what you'll notice. On the version we're going to listen to, we brought the keyboard up, and uh-huh. there's a little bit of a jazzy feel okay. behind the verse, which I really like, and clever. Yes. other people like too. Very clever. That, it makes it, it it differentiates the two. Yes, two yes, yeah. and and it probably makes it that much more tastier if 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 you could do that. I think so. Yes. The, the other interesting thing is that the nothing left is real is not the song that we thought was going to be the hit in 1976. On the other side. 
the A side of the original song is called Searching, and we thought Searching was going to be the hit, and so we were all excited, and of course, again, you know, nothing ever happened. When the DJ in London started playing this record uh, six, or six, five or six years ago, he played the flip side, which is Nothing Left Is Real. And that's what has become the hit. Isn't that something? You know, that reminds me of uh, Gloria Gaynor. You know, that's that's what happened to her. Right. The the DJ was uh, was playing. The DJ played their hit side, their A side, and uh, and at some point later that day, he flipped it over and decided to play the 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 B side. And as you know, I'll survive. I will oh, yes. survive. Yes. Is <laughs> it's yeah. still in everybody's memory banks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting the way that happens. Yes. So we're going to give a listen to this, and uh, we'll be right back. just great and now I'd like for you to tell me something that you remember musically that was that happened during that I don't remember the name of the studio at this point but w what I remember is that we recorded again about 12 so 11 or 12 songs in the course of about maybe a week and so we were we didn't get much sleep you know we because you know the old the old adage time is money right, right. and it wasn't it was was part of the money was our money but part of it was actually somebody else's money yes. so they, you know they were the trying to get it done right yeah. and I remember by the time we finished specifically this song nothing left is real because a lot the Pure Funk was a horn band, you know, it's kind of like, like a tower of power, mm -hmm. you know, big, powerful horn band. So yes. with us, with, with the horns, by the time we finished that song, we were shot. You know, our lips were shot, our hands were shot, our eyes were shot. It was, <laughs> it was a hard day's night. Huh? It was a hard week, you know, <laughs> but, but but exhilarating all the same because, you know, I mean, you, you, you do the, you, you perform the recordings, and then you sit back and listen and see what it sounds like. And, you know, we were, the band was full of, Oh, fantastic musicians, as you can hear. Yes. You know, when you listen yes. to, to these tunes. Yes. And everybody had a critical ear. 
right? And so we could hear what was going on right. you know, more than, let's say, your average, you know, average person off the street. And so if it wasn't right, you know, we were ready to go back because we wanted it to be the best it could be. Well, I can see that uh, you guys are going to be very instrumental with the younger generation and today's uh, music scene. Uh, and as you say, with the older musicians who might have something laying around, something still uh, unrecorded or recorded that gets a little dusty. And uh, I'm wishing you a great success well, to I help them and yourself with this. Absolutely. And th thank you very much. We appreciate that. And I, be before we wrap it up here, I would like to ask, if possible, if I can, if there are any Bay Area musicians from the 70s and 80s that have songs or tunes laying around that they've never released or that perhaps were released but never heard, please contact, if they can contact you or contact me, uh, because I need to try and find as many musicians as possible that have material that they would like to release so we can put together the best group of Bay Area musicians that has never been heard in the world. Uh, a lot of these, uh, a, a lot of the market for this type of music is actually in Europe and Asia. And so we can sell this music in Europe and Asia. And again, what is likely to happen is once we do that, as with Pure Funk and the California Playboys, then hopefully the U.S. market will pick it up. So you, you kind of go the world beat type of uh, way in to come back home in a sense. It's a strange yeah. way of doing it, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> and and whatever works is what we want to make happen. Absolutely. Give us your information a couple of times. The uh, Alexis Entertainment Group, the phone number is area code 510-653-2450. And if you'd like to contact me directly, which I would welcome, my email address is bjacobs. That's B as in Bob, J-A-C-O-B-S at alexisentertainmentgroup.com. Very good, very good. Now, give us your name and your phone number and that email address one more time. One more time, okay. My name is Bob Jacobs. The company is Alexis Entertainment Group. The phone number is area code 510-653-2450. And the email address B Jacobs, B J A C O B S, at Alexis Entertainment Group dot com. Very good, very good. Bob, if I can call you Bob, thank you so much for coming in today and, and uh, telling us your story. And uh, as I listen to the music, I'm pleased that James Brown coined that phrase. It is fucking now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's been definitely my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley. You were just listening to an interview with Bob Jacobs from Relexus Entertainment Group. And FYI, you can obtain copies of Pure Funk's Nothing Left is Real through their U.S. distributors, Traffic Entertainment. That's Traffic Entertainment for Nothing Left is Real from Pure Funk. Now, we're going to take a little music break and treat you to a little mouse as he runs the voodoo down. Thank you. 
it seems like he just got started chasing that voodoo. At any rate, you're listening to Full Circle here on KPFA. And yes, that was Miles Davis. Now, we take a listen to my conversation with a very engaging, charismatic, and approachable man. And we gain a deeper insight to his perspectives about the business of community radio. Mr. Quincy McCoy, the general manager of this 94.1 KPFA radio station. with us the general manager of KPFA Radio. I'd like to welcome him, Mr. Quincy McCoy. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Nice being here. Thank you for being with us. What is it like being the general manager of a community-powered radio station, KPFA? It's a, it's a pleasure, and it's a privilege. And that's what it's like. As opposed to broadcast radio, uh, where everything is all about gathering as much money as you can and um, popularity as far as ratings and stuff are concerned. Here, it's totally different. This place has got a terrific mission. Um, You know, the radio station, uh, the history of the Pacifica and the radio station itself were the thing that really intrigued me, especially at this part of my career where I've done a lot of all that other stuff. I mean, I've, I've started in AM station and went to the FM thing, went to the internet, one of the early pioneers on that stuff. And now here's a point where not only can I continue to give back, but um, the mission is something that uh, is glorious and I think is needed right now in the country more than ever. Okay, thank you for that. Let's explore the difference in a KPFA community-type station and the broadcast. You still got to raise that money. You still got to mm-hmm. keep the lights on. You still got to pay for all the equipment. You still got to do those upgrades. You still got to retain staff. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you feel about how you have to get the money versus selling? I was an account exec. And it's very similar to broadcast radio. I mean, the, the, the key thing is programming. It's still programming. The programming is what brings in the listeners. Our programming is unique because, as opposed to other public radio stations, we have a definitive niche. We are out there doing stuff that nobody else does. I mean, so you can call us alternative news. You can call us alternative, uh, bringing in alternative cultures. Uh, we play alternative music. A lot of people don't even recognize that we're 65% music station, and uh, which is you know some sort of hidden secret or something. But that that's the truth. But the, the unique programming that we bring in is the reason why people still support us. 
and not necessarily the political end of it either. I think. I think it, it, it's 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 true. We're a progressive radio station with a lot of progressive ideas, and a lot of people with great progressive ideas and thoughts, and uh, and morally we kind of lean to the left. There's no doubt about that. But you still have to have interesting context on the radio station to make people come over and listen to that. No especially, matter which way they're leaning. It doesn't right. make any difference. And especially to dig in their pockets. And they're digging their pockets, too. Yes. Now, let me, get, let me go to that, because that's a very important point. Um, the reason why people dig into their pockets and the reason why radio stations become number one or whatever it is or become favorites to people is because of the same one-on-one -on -one communication which makes radio great. You know, it's that it's that that Marshall McLuhan talked about it in Medium is the Message. It's still the basic thing about radio is me talking directly to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I say to you, and the, it starts that bond between us. Mm -hmm. What makes us successful is that we've had people on the air here in certain places and certain day shifts uh, or, you know, or day parts that uh, people become friends with. You know, through the radio. And so they tune in for that person. So when it's time for that person to ask them to donate, it's a little easier for them to go to their pocket. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, but if you had inconsistent programming and, and no one knew what, to, what was going to be there when they got there, or they didn't really understand where you were coming from, or things were always changing, mm -hmm. they're not going to go in their pocketbook. You may not even keep them as a listener. Right, right. So, innovation. Mm-hmm. What's on the horizon in the in the near ground as an innovation mm -hmm. that listeners can expect? Well, there's lots of things. I mean, some of the stuff that we're working on right now is mostly through the website because the website is a key to moving us into the 21st century. Now, we've got a pretty good functioning website right now. Uh, the, the, what I like to tell people about the website is what so our website is constantly evolving. It's never going to stop changing. It's never going to stop improving. So I'm thinking by mid-February, the new website point two or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. will be out there. Mm -hmm. There will be some subtle changes that people won't know about. Research that we've done through the through the website about what people come to see, what they what they want. And we're moving things so things can be easier for people to reach. Oh. The speed of the website is continuing to increase. Mm -hmm. Things will come mm -hmm. faster mm -hmm. to you. Um, we live in a world now where people listen to the radio differently, very differently. How so? There's no appointment listening anymore, almost. I mean, there's a few shows that people specifically want to listen to at the radio at exactly the time it's on, but that's not necessary anymore. So if I miss my favorite show, Letters in Politics, say at 10 o'clock, I can listen to Letters in Politics at 11. I can listen to it at 10 o'clock tonight. Okay. I can listen to it when I want to. I can go and download it to my telephone mm -hmm. and listen to Letters in Politics yes. whenever yes. I feel like. Yes. So that's a big spectrum that has happened in radio, mm -hmm. all radio. Mm -hmm. So no one has to really be there to hear that favorite mm -hmm. show right on time anymore. Got it, got it. Yeah. The other innovation that's going along with that, I might as well jump right to that, is podcasting. Now, we've got a new podcasting menu on the radio station. Podcasting's a big deal because people download these shows and take them with them. So, you know, they'll, you know they download a bunch of shows before they get on an airplane sometimes and they'll sit there and listen to radio programs on those shows. Mm -hmm. So we want to get into that because it allows us two things. One, it allows us to innovate so we can bring in new programming, you know, and it allows us to bring in new voices from the community. 
People can come in that there's not room in the KPFA grid right now for brand new shows. Mm. People get here and they stay here for 20 years sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so that, that's not available. There's not, you know, people aren't dropping out or quitting or leaving. They kind of stay here and they stay. Okay, but we have to innovate, right? right. So that gives us the space to do that. The podcasting thing is, a, is an opportunity for, for us to come up with new shows that not only speak to what the community would like to hear, but also some fun and innovation we can do right if we want to put comedy on there or if we want to if we want to have something that that deals with yoga i mean whatever mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. we have the space to do mm -hmm. it Again, so, a community a community outreach or a community input in terms of what they say they might want absolutely yoga as you say yeah it also brings to mind since we're talking in podcasting the importance of live streaming i guess because now you can see people that you have like uh Denise Colts or uh Richard Wolf or some of the other people that we have at the first congregational church or other uh venues around town that people go to see that gives a further the live streaming a further audience yes or no <laughs> no I mean, no. I'm not doing that. I mean, well, for us, see, you're you're messing with my pocketbook now. <laughs> so if I bring in Tanahisha Coates and he comes and does a speech, we sell tickets to that. People come, and then we're recording it, and we yes. record the DVD, and we record the the speech, and then we use those as premiums. Okay, it's a nice way for us to in house produce something that doesn't cost us a lot of money, and yet we can get a good return on it using it as a premium. If I was to live stream it, there's no reason for you to. Yes. It, it loses its value you. No, but listen to me. Live streaming is something that's part of what we're going to be doing on the website, too. There's a thing called Periscope. You hip to that? Yes, little. Tell us about well, it. Periscope is a thing, a part of Twitter, where where live streaming comes in really handy, especially record, in, in, in recording news events. If there's, a, if there's a Black Lives Matter event, you can, and you're there, you can Periscope that right back to the website and it can go up. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's definitely something I'm interested in because it brings content, instant content to the radio station, and it can be used in the right way. Uh, live streaming big events like that is not good for us. It might be great for CNN. It might be great for somebody like that, but it doesn't really work in our bellywick right now. Got you. You mentioned earlier something about the uniqueness of uh, KPFA, and I was wondering if that is only specific to KPFA or if that's in other specific foundation stations. Yeah, no, they're, they're all under the same mantle. We're all under the same mission statement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all under the same 5103C. We're nonprofits, and this is our mission. And so all the radio stations are trying to execute that mission. But they all do it differently because somebody's in Houston, somebody's mm -hmm. in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our Northern California perspective on things. And then L.A., has their perspective on how they're going to execute that mission. Different flavors. Oh, it's different flavors. I mean, it's different uh, needs from the community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, there's different things. There's some overall natural things that we're all concerned with, of course. Right. You know, the environment and yes, social yes. justice and all yes. that stuff. But then there's individual things that are happening in smaller communities that, you know, right. that don't relate. You're listening to a special interview for Black Ears, a special day of programming brought to you by the Amandala Radio Collective of KPFA. I, I want to take a look now at uh, 
some of the things that are happening a little bit differently on an innovative level with the new technology. I mean, there's uh, everybody's moving from, uh, obviously people have moved quickly from analog to digital. And digital is the thing. Unfortunately for KPFA, we are still stuck in the analog uh, age and we need to get into the digital age. But it's going to cost money to do that. So that's where the fundraising comes in. We need to take this, um, this old equipment that we're working on right now, me and you sitting here behind these old Sennheiser microphones, and, uh, and try to you know get this thing uh, on a digital platform. Because if we could, it would make it easier for everybody to, to do their work. And, um, you know, so the easier the technology is, the more creative you can be because it takes a lot of work out of that, right? It's about the production. The actual making of the shows would be a lot easier and then a lot easier for us to syndicate it to other stations and uh -huh. things like that. Uh -huh. it, you know, the world has moved on on how, how, how to transport the content and we have to stay up with that if we want to compete. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the other uh, public radio stations in this marketplace that do take money from corporations are ahead of us because they have more money. Mm -hmm. They have more money to, to be digital and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I personally believe that our content is much stronger than theirs because of our niche about what we're all about. I mean, it's really hard for me to go listen to All Things Considered now when I really can get the news perspective from KPFA, which we dig a little deeper. There's no doubt about that. Okay. And I think, people, I think people appreciate us for that. And I think they appreciate us for some of the stances that we take. And uh, that's what makes us great. And that's what the, but we, for us to continue to be out there, we have to move along technically and, and, and be as advanced. So it's going to cost us, if we were to stay here where we are right now, with these studio situations that we have, mm -hmm. we're talking a million dollars. So who's dragging their feet? 250 per student. I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm just talking about me coming in, what, it's going to be two years soon. I've been running the joint. So it's just one of the things on my list that I want to get to that I can help move us forward, you know. So it takes time. It takes money right, right. to do that kind of thing. And right now, we're always we burnt, we're behind the eight ball. We're still not ahead of anything. Mm -hmm. Haven't been able to do that. We're afloat. But, you know, we got, we got one oar. We ain't got two. So, you know, we're still rolling with one oar here. And it sounds like maybe the wind is in front of you rather than behind you in terms of the board or how's the board feel? Are they... I don't know. It's a new board now. We'll see soon. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what's, what's happening with that. You just take one step at a time. Right, right. You know? right. But I, I have to move forward no matter what. Yes. I'm glad you brought up the, 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 the boat analogy because that's the way I roll this place is I'm in the boat and people are getting in the boat with me. We're rowing the boat forward. Yes. We're trying to move down the, down the road. Yes. And so as we're rowing, we're going to be coming by you on the side of the river. Now, you want to get in here and grab one of these oars and move with us, that's great. Yes. Because you'll move forward with us. Right. But if you don't, you're going to be on the shore as we roll on down the river. <laughs> And that's the name of that tune. Keeping it moving. We gotta keep it, it forward. Yes, gotta sir. keep it moving. Gotta yes, keep sir. the doors open. Gotta keep the thing yes. going. Can't make the changes unless the doors are open. Right, right. You know, we gotta be on the air. We gotta continue to, to to push the mission. Continue, you know, to struggle. We have to raise money. We have the hardest job in the world. We're a listener supported radio station. No underwriting. No big corporate checks coming right, in. Right, right. You know, we try to get some foundation money here and there. And a lot of family foundations support us. That's nice. 
It's not a lot of big money, but it's nice. It's definitely nice. And, um, you know, we're looking to try to, you know, score here and there with some foundation money to kind of support some of the programming and stuff that we do. And, And we're asking people to help us raise money for, you know, new computers. Help us raise money to get better equipment, you know. Help us raise money to 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 improve the website, to improve our programming. That's what we need. In case you just tuned in, we're talking with the general manager of this station, KPFA. Mr. Quincy McCoy has been gracing us with his insight and his innovations that he's wishing for in the future and. Uh, I've been very, very intrigued with what he was saying. Quincy, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your earlier self, about your earlier radio. I mean, I got into radio sort of, you know, totally by accident. It wasn't what I was thinking about doing. I was thinking about becoming a newspaper man. Uh, I wanted to be a reporter. But I ended up being a reporter on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um... And um, what was interesting about it was I wasn't really sure that I wanted to continue to be in radio. And then... Um, when in your career was oh, I'll that? I'll tell you exactly when. That you weren't uh, sure that you wanted <laughs> no, was, to continue. I was still in college and I was, um, I was doing news and I was working as a reporter going around, you know, uh, doing, you know, covering the water board and city hall okay. and, you know, just, you know, doing calling in stories from phone booths and things like that. Um, it was interesting work and I liked it and I met some interesting people. Well, what happened to me was uh, they changed the guard at the radio station and a new program director came in and he sat everybody down and he said he was going to have one-on-ones with everybody and he called me into uh, his office and he looked at me across his table and he said, let me do you a favor. I said, um, Black folks don't really do well in broadcasting. Maybe you ought to think about doing something else. No, not until that moment had I not really thought about the job. You know what I mean? I, like I told you, I was thinking about doing something else. And so I remember walking out and my uh, good friend, who's still my good friend, was my news director there, said to me, Hey, kid, what did he say to you? I said, I told him what he said. And he said to me, he said, What are you going to do about that? I said, I'm going to prove him wrong. All right. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, and I went on and had a marvelous career. And uh, then I left. I mean, I'd done radio for about oh, six years at that time. And I just said, well, you know. And I took a job at um, OIC, Opportunities Industrialization Corporation. You know about that? I know it well. I know yeah, it well. Sure. I was working for, I was working for that. <laughs> no helping kidding. the community. No, nope, no. Nope. Reverend Sullivan. Yes, right. Out of Philadelphia, right? <laughs> yes. So I was working at his organization in upstate New York. Yes. And I was working, I was you know, doing community work. It was basically a community organizer. Right, right. So I was doing that kind of stuff. And one night, I was sitting in a bar playing cards, bid whist with everybody. Phone rang. And uh, they said, there's this guy who wants to talk to you. I went and picked up the phone. It was this guy from New Haven, Connecticut. And he said he heard a tape of me that someone had given him. And he wanted to know if I was interested in moving to, to come work for the radio station. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And I hung up. I said, no, thank you. I appreciate the call. He called me again. He was persistent, very persistent. So finally, he talked me into going down to Connecticut for the weekend, New Haven, Connecticut for the weekend. And I went. And on the way there, I heard the radio station on my way into town. And they were just, I said, I couldn't believe that they wanted me on this place. Got there, offered me this ridiculous amount of money, and I moved to New Haven, Connecticut. And from there, 
The secret behind all that is that there was a man who was a big major consultant at the time who oversaw that radio station, WAVZ in New Haven, Connecticut. And he liked me. So he was the one that got me hired. And his name was Paul Drew. And Paul Drew kept moving me to bigger markets. So it was New Haven, then it was Miami. Um, he actually tried to get me to go to New York at one point, and I said I didn't want to go to New York because I didn't feel like I was ready for New York, and I didn't do it. Um, then I got to, I got, I was, I was in Miami. I got to the number one station in Miami, which was called Y100 at the time, still is. But um, we 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 broke um, a record at the time. FM radio was new. Mm-hmm. And and uh, all these other stations I was talking about are all AM stations, but mm-hmm. FM was on the come. Right. And so in Miami, Y100 was the first radio station to hit double figures. You know what I mean? Yes. Double yes. figures. Are, you know, we had double figures in the morning in the ratings. We had like a 10 and we had double in the afternoon. We were just outrageously. We just blew down some mammoth uh, big market uh, AM in Miami. And we became the number one radio station. That built my reputation because I was part of that staff. So after that, I was also music director, and after that, I got offered a job as program director in Atlanta, Georgia. So I was the first black man to program a top 40 radio station in the United States. No kidding. When I took that job at Z93 in Atlanta. Yes. No black man has ever been a program director of a major market radio station before that time. So, um, top 40 radio, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yes, so, yes. Uh, I took that job Still there. Still a big accomplishment. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, it was great. <laughs> and um, I, I took the job at, at, at Z93. Then I came to San Francisco and ran KYA. Okay. And by that time, I... Um, I was a little tired of Top 40 and all that stuff, and I came to San Francisco. KYA was a freeform rock and roll station, and it was a lot of fun. And San Francisco was a lot of fun in the late late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. here. But I left and went to work at uh, Fantasy Records over in Berkeley. No kidding. Which I really loved. I thought that was the, one of my favorite jobs of all time. Was It's still the, it was fab. I'm telling you, I just had a marvelous career. You have no idea Man. how where this is going. I mean, there's so much more. I don't want to bore the listeners with everything but uh my goodness i would say folks that we are lucky to have this man i think that uh the people that say the good things about his book no static oh yeah i forgot about that huh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we sell a book <laughs> i think i think they're probably right <laughs> With this innovative, it's a no static's a good book if you want to if you if you care about radio if you want to be in radio, if you're interested in radio, um, no static is that book that I always wish that I had when I started. You know, there was no nothing to reference when you, I became a music director the first time, or I became a program director the first time, or even when I became a, a major market disc jockey or air personality. And you know, so how do you how do I really do this? I mean, what what do I do? So there's there's a lot of answers in there for people. And I interviewed some of the best minds, I think, in radio, especially in the days when radio was great. It's not as great as it used to be, obviously, because, you know, these the, the corporations took over. Consolidation came in, one of the reasons why I left. And um, and they basically messed it up because they, they, they aired on the side of research instead of staying with what really made radio work, which was the talent. Mm-hmm. It was the people behind their microphones, the reason why you tuned in those stations. Exactly. There was that, those favorite disc jockeys, those yes. people that said crazy stuff or that made you laugh or made you cry yes. or played that song. Yes. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yes. yes and yes. so when they shied away from that, 
they lost their listenership and they're still spinning from it. They, you know, now they're in deep trouble. Um, I mean, the only guy left with appointment listening is really Howard Stern. People turn on Howard Stern. They know he's there. You know, they got to buy satellite radio to yes, get him. Yes, yes, So, you know. Yes. So. And, and he has a, he has so many people that are trying to clone themselves after what he's doing mm-hmm. because it is something that people do want. It sounds like uh, not only were you born under a good sign and the, <laughs> and the heavens were. Yeah, that's what I was right telling face. you in the beginning when you said what went wrong. I can't think of anything that went wrong. I mean, okay, I got I had positions where okay, I didn't I got fired here or or you know whatever happened you know some of these situations like that. But you no, know, it's always it's always rolled forward for me in a very good way. I met a lot of great people. I've had a lot of great mentors, and mentoring means a lot to me because of that. I never forgot anybody at WTLB in Utica who started me out. The way they spent their time and worked with me. My friend Joe Tierno, who took me to his house at night. We would grab UPI copy and a tape machine, and I would sit there and read and read and read and read over and over again. Why he put up with me, I have no idea. And so I asked his wife, Evie, I just said, aren't you tired of me coming over to your house? But, you know, that's the kind of thing. So I said, well, you know, if that, somebody does that for me, I have to give back too. I love it. I love so it. So when, when people always say to me, so what's your biggest accomplishment and you know for that and I always tell them I said the, the biggest accomplishment to me are the people that worked for me along the way that are still doing it and doing it well or doing other things but doing it because I help bring them through. You gotta reach back. What good is it? If you're a lot of people back? don't understand that. A lot of people I, I think that's something that well, it seems that that's something that's a little bit missing. It's a blessing, you know, but if you don't understand blessings, mm-hmm. you don't get it. Mm-hmm. You can be blessed and all these great things happen to you, but you got to share that blessing. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that with your time from uh, Reverend Sullivan? No, not so much so with Reverend Sullivan. It was a different Reverend, uh, Reverend Daltrey, I think I would say, in Brooklyn. He, uh, I, I, he, was, he had a, a profound impact on me and, uh, and how I think about that. But it was also those people. It was also my mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, you, know, it was, you know, my mother was like that. I mean, she was, she was the one that always used to tell me when times were tough when I was first starting out and people were making fun of the way I sounded on the air and, and all that kind of stuff was happening. It was always my mom and Malou saying, hey. You're fine. You just keep going. Right keep moving forward, Junior. So that's what I did. Quincy, thank you so much oh, for my your pleasure. time. It's great. It has been a, as Mitch would say, my great pleasure. Yes. <laughs> right. It's been terrific. I've had a ball. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. KPFA. And that was KPFA's own station general manager, Mr. Quincy McCoy. Or as we call him, Q. Some call him QM. (laughs) Some even call him Junior Fred. 
but you gotta be from New York to know that. <laughs> anyway, this interview was taken from our special interview that aired during KPFA's Black History Month's day-long celebration on last Saturday. It was part of KPFA's Amandala Collective Group, the Black Voices of KPFA. We're going to enjoy some more of Miles as he catches up a little bit more with uh, that voodoo job he's on. I just love the sound of that horn, don't you? You know, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. I want you to tune in next week to Full Circle at 7 p.m. right here on KPFA. I want to give a special thanks to our production and technical interns from Group 40 and 41, Umba Voices and Mini Voices. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Freewheeling Frank Sterling. Franklin, too, is our all his good friends. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And we have Mr. Josiah Luis, that's the board up for us, doing all the technical work this evening. And now we have a friendly reminder. The deadline for the apprentice applications are extended until March 4th. So get those in, March 4th. And before I let you go, we here on Full Circle want to let you know about a very special event happening in our shared communities. The folks of Tejido Social will be presenting a very special expose on the Mexican Rebozo. This event will feature a presentation of different techniques and styles of Mexican rebozos, as well as other events and workshops starting at 1 p.m. and going until 6 p.m. Now, this event will be held at the Red Poppy Arts House on Sunday, February 14th. That's at 2698 Folsom Street in San Francisco. For more information, call 415 415- 826-2404 That's 415-826-2404 And me, I've been your host I'm Ron Thompson Thank you for joining us here on Montage brought to you by Full Circle Stay tuned please for La Onda Aita